What is up, Bitcoiners? I had a fantastic conversation with George McHale. You guys may or may not have heard of him, but to me, he is absolutely a brother. Me and him share a, a similar ethnicity, a similar background, and similar life experiences just growing up. This was an absolutely fantastic conversation. We covered a ton of things. We covered all of his articles that he's put out about the Bitcoin community, about the toxicity in the Bitcoin community, about the lack of toxicity and the openness, the trueness, the realness in the Bitcoin community, talked about religion, talked about how Bitcoin offers a source of truth 2.0, as I would say, it, it really offers this new form of foundation for society that can help benefit society and flatten society and make society more fair going forward. So I really think you guys are going to enjoy this podcast. But before we get into it, let's give a quick shout out to our sponsor, the Bitcoin 2021 conference this June in sunny Miami, Florida. It is going to be June 4th and 5th, and we are barreling towards a sold-out conference. Already one-third of our available tickets have been sold, and way more than half of our whale passes have been sold. We are almost sold out completely on the whale pass. We have amazing speakers, Jack Dorsey, Chamath, Nick Zabo, Tony Hawk, Peter Todd, many, many more, and many more to be announced. You can go to the website to check them all out. Mayor Suarez has welcomed us into the city with open arms. And again, tickets are flying off the shelves. Seriously, I see the feed and like I've done many conferences. This one is is really has some something going for it. And honestly, guys, like after all this, after 2020, Bitcoiners want to grab a beer, hang out. We're bringing back Bitcoin 2019 vibes times 10 prices times 10. Let's go. Use promo code Satoshi, all caps, Satoshi for 10% off. You can go to the website b.tc backslash conference. Again, that is b.tc backslash conference and get your ticket today. Today, prices also are going up and hey, we may just sell out. So we have a hard cap. Can't really be flexible there. Don't wait. All right, guys, that is enough from me. Let's get right into this fantastic conversation with George. George, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? It's going well, man. Thanks so much for having me. So we were just talking offline and before I rudely interrupted you, I wanted to, to, to kick this, this podcast off right. You have been doing some incredible stuff in the Bitcoin community, and you have been contributing a lot of work to the Bitcoin magazine, and it's all been centered around community. So want to talk to you about community, want to talk to you about Bitcoiners and everything that you're doing. But first, let's get, let's get the skinny on who George McHale is and you know, what's the kind of foundation for this work that you're doing. Sure. Yeah. So my name is George, and I am a co-founder of Bitcoin Is which started as a conference in LA and basically was all Bitcoiners. Some of the top people in the space came out and, and uh, shared with us. And for me, that was, that was probably the most concrete, like jumping off point for, you know, like learning more about who who's in the community and kind of what people are talking about and kind of the, the separation between Bitcoin and, and altcoins and everything else. I was already trending that way before the event, but that was that was really when it when it became real for me. And since then, I've been 
a part of the OC Bitcoin network here in Orange County with Brian Harrington, who leads that. And yeah, I've just really been centered around who Bitcoiners are and trying to trying to kind of get to know people more and try to build with other Bitcoiners. I also co-authored a book called Thank God for Bitcoin with, with seven other Bitcoiners. And so the, the theme of the book is making the moral case for Bitcoin. And so, yeah, I think I'm all about this whole, this whole space that exists around the quote-unquote Bitcoin community, which unto itself is a controversial idea, but it's something I'm pretty passionate about. Yeah, I mean, there is no Bitcoin community, but there is a clear and obvious English-speaking Western Bitcoin community for sure. <laughs> and, you know, even across the world, I've met Asian Bitcoiners, I've met Bitcoiners from Africa, I've met Bitcoiners from LATAM. Bitcoin is a common ground. It is a common thread that just unites people. It's kind of like this common truth. And one of your contributions to the Bitcoin magazine was talking specifically about this. And it is an experience that every single Bitcoiner that has met another Bitcoiner in person, you know, can absolutely relate to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we live in a time where we need shortcuts to get to know each other because there's just so much polarization and there's so much judgment and suspicion of one another that what Bitcoin does is it cuts through all of that noise. And it's like, you're a Bitcoiner, I'm a Bitcoiner. Boom, we agree on like 99.9% of things. Everything else is like debatable. And the debate becomes actually interesting again, right? Which is, I think, refreshing. You know, people from opposite ends of the uh, political spectrum can come together around Bitcoin and actually have a healthy dialogue. And uh, people from different walks of life, whether it be different religions or race backgrounds or whatever, they find this common ground in Bitcoin. And that's, that's been the experience. And, and really, that's all I'm pointing to when I talk about community even is you're a Bitcoiner. I'm a Bitcoiner. Cool. We have a common worldview. Let's go. Let's go out there and make the world a better place. That's simple. So, I mean, maybe to Bitcoiners, this is not this crazy of an idea, but like you said, you know, we live in a hyper, hyper polarized world where people can't even agree on facts. And I've said this before, like Bitcoin is kind of like a new form of truth. It, it is like truth 2.0, if you will. It's like more true than any truth we've had before. Like, can you kind of talk about like, you know, that and, and why that, you know, having like a rock to use as your kind of like foundation or focal point is so important for even being open-minded to other people? Yeah. I mean, I think first of all, we underestimate at a high level how important money is to inter to human interaction in society. Not that money is important in the sense that we need to like worship money or we need to make it like the, the, the primary focal point of our daily lives, but just that it affects everything. It affects every human relationship. It affects every interaction at some level. And so when the money is false, when the money is a lie, when the money is not true, then that affects our relationships. It makes our relationships not true. It makes our relationships fake, right? This is why we have so many superficial relationships and interactions with other people. This is why you have so many surface level conversations with people. Because at the at the end of the day, like people people's foundations for what they're even interacting you with is false, right? So think about, and I hate to kind of push people on this, but think about the people you work with and the reason you're even there, right? Like if you didn't work together, the chances of you being friends or the chances of you interacting are very, very low. Those aren't friendships. Those are, you're both getting paid to do the same thing. And so you happen to be in the same space. And so you have this 
relationship thing, kind of. But guess what? If one of you gets laid off, you're probably not going to hang out with that person anymore, right? And so I think that's the first thing is, is money impacts so much of our how we relate to one another. So with Bitcoin, now we have a foundation of truth where literally the entire blockchain is about, hey, we all agree that this person has this much in this wallet, this person has this much, that transaction took place. There's a bunch of different nodes confirming it, right? Like that it's, it's all about fact and truth. And so with that as the base layer, now our relationships can be more authentic and there's less pretense and there's less trying to fake it till you make it. And so, so I think that's really important to keep in mind. And, and I also think it's important to, to keep in mind that we're in a period of transition right now. We haven't fully, fully transitioned to a Bitcoin standard. That's still very much ongoing. And so it's going to take a while. Like there's this awkwardness. This is why people are uncomfortable with saying Bitcoin community or whatever, because we kind of have one foot in, one foot out. So we're still working our way there. Well, I push back on the Bitcoin community because there's no way to like sum up the Bitcoin community. It's not like a physical thing that you can say like, this is a community with this specific trace. Bitcoiners are truly, truly everywhere. And I would even argue that a lot of shitcoiners are just confused Bitcoiners, right? So there's a lot of different Bitcoin communities because Bitcoin itself is open source and permissionless. Yeah. L- listen, I, I'm not passionate about like defending the word community. I think that like a lot of other things from the legacy world, the, it's become bastardized. It's become confused. It's not even that helpful anymore, like so many other other words. So I'm not like going to sit here and defend the word community. I think what I mean by it is Bitcoiners like envision a different world. And when we come together and whether it's on Twitter or in real life at a meetup, our quote unquote community is, is, is trying to manifest this new world. And so that's all I mean by it. And so we can get into kind of the nuances of multiple different communities and different parts and different geographies or whatever. But at the end of the day, all I'm talking about is if you believe in sound money, if you affirm 21 million is the hard cap of, of Bitcoins ever, like you're a part of this, whatever you want to call it, community or group of people or pioneers, like that's, well, that's it. Yeah. Okay. I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. So, I mean, here's a question I've been asking a lot of people coming on the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. Like, I've been called, you know, the like your Bitcoin religion is showing or like, you know, you're obviously, you know, you're a cultist, you're not being rational, all this stuff. Like, Bitcoin, like you know, people who are not of the Bitcoin orientation, they just don't understand how Bitcoiners can subscribe so much greatness, so much truth, so much potential you know, to this thing, Bitcoin, like if you're talking to someone who doesn't, who isn't oriented around Bitcoin, who hasn't seen this truth yet, who hasn't kind of gone down the rabbit hole, like how, how do you kind of communicate to them, you know, this truth that you found? I mean, I think it's important to keep in mind how early we are and how we are going to look like the crazy people for a while. And I think that's okay. And people are going to call us whatever names help them you know, dismiss us, whether that's cultists or religious or whatever. And again, all those words are just unhelpful, old world, like expired words. And we are creating our own reality where, you know, Bitcoin was at 25K on Christmas and today we're sitting at 38. And by the time this airs, it's probably going to be over 50. Who knows? Like, 
we just have to, we have to realize that it's early and that things are unfolding and that people are going to have a really hard time with us. And so my response is I'm, I'm pretty just like matter of fact, I'm pretty like, you know, you have your opinions and then there's reality. And the reality is your money and the world that you're living in is, is dying. It's fading. One of my favorite quotes from the Bible is when Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. And he's talking about this same sort of transitional moment that's happening as the, as, as the empire collapses all around them and people are still trying to salvage their old world. And I think that's what we see in, in the, the present day where people are like, well, what about my stocks or what about my 401k or what about my shit coins? And it's just like, yo, we don't have time for that. Like we have a very focused vision and the, our conviction and our drive and our focus looks like a cult. It looks like a religion sometimes to people. And I think that's okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I think what you're, what you're kind of like pointing to is the conviction and confidence, right? Like when you have this kind of level of conviction and confidence that Bitcoiners have in Bitcoin, it shakes people, right? Mm -hmm. Because they don't have that kind of confidence in anything (laughs) in their life. There's nothing in their life that they're so convicted and confident in that when they see it, like it scares them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, and, and it, there is something about this sense of responsibility that we wield as Bitcoiners to have stumbled upon this truth and stumbled upon what we know. And there, you know, I love, you know, Matt O'Dell's meme of, of just stay humble, stack sats. I think that's so poignant. I think it's so important for us to keep in mind because, you know, like most people just don't, no. I mean, we've, we've had these conversations, right? We're, we're in the same telegram and signal groups where you're just listening to people and you're just like, oh, you just, you just don't know. You haven't, you haven't seen what I've seen yet. You haven't figured it out yet. And I think it's, it's incumbent upon us to, to remain humble and at some level to be patient with the people who are sincere, right? And then one of my articles, Are Bitcoiners Assholes, is the question I pose. I, I, I think there is a time to tell people to have fun staying poor. And I think there's a time to engage with people who are sincerely seeking truth. Someone did that for you, right? Absolutely. Well, I have to, I have to pat myself on the back. I jumped down the Bitcoin rabbit hole in late 2017, you know, kind of af- I, actually I, I entered in after the, the Bcash fork. So I was a little confused when I saw Bcash on uh, the coin market cap, but it took me about a month and a half to kind of go full Bitcoin maxi, thanks to uh, Ansel Linder and several other great Bitcoin educators out there. But yeah, I mean, in terms of staying humble, stack sats, having empathy and patience for people who are trying to orient to the Bitcoin worldview, it's hard, but at the same time, it's absolutely necessary. And Parker Lewis has this great quote, Bitcoin is, is counterintuitive. And then it becomes intuitive and then it becomes hyperintuitive. And really, you know, the way that I kind of see that is there's two orientations. You're in the fiat orientation and like you're doing what makes sense in the fiat world. And then there's the Bitcoin orientation, which is a complete 180 from the fiat orientation. And to bridge over that, it takes a lot. Of, it takes a lot to bridge over to that. And that's why Bitcoin is counterintuitive. And then once you reorient, it is hyperintuitive. You can't see the world without 21 million. You can't see the world without valuing everything in sats. Yeah, that's so true. That's a great quote. I, I love that. I mean, it does. It, cons- it does consume most of our thinking now because, again, we're in the early stages of transitioning. We're talking about something that's thir- 12, 13 years old, right? 
I think for Bitcoiners, even the ones who get it the most or have been around the longest, like we still don't know what this is, right? We're still coming to terms with, holy shit, this changes everything. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. Like the hyperintuitive thing is so, is so poignant. And at the same time, it's like, I wake up every day and I'm like, wow, the implications of this, the sense of responsibility, I think grows when you have that level of appreciation for it. So, I mean, let's talk about this, right? So obviously Bitcoiners have kind of seen this truth. I recently just put uh, put out a podcast with Andy Edstrom and Peter McCormick, and they talked about winning hearts and minds and how, you know, they both believe that Bitcoin is inevitable, but they see a hard path and a, a easy path to Bitcoin. And a lot of it is kind of grounded in how Bitcoin's me- how Bitcoiners message Bitcoin. And, you know, we can go around telling people have fun staying poor, or we can kind of go around and meet them at their level and find ways to explain Bitcoin to them in ways that actually resonate with whatever, you know, emotional drivers kind of push them. Yeah. I think the strategy has to be, has to be both, you know, there, there definitely is a time and a place to tell people who are clearly wasting your time, who have no interest in learning, who are stuck in their ways and so entrenched and actually have a, they have incentive and they have a, a, a a rooted interest in making sure that Bitcoin fails and that you're wrong. You know, those people you, we need to tell have fun staying poor. I I believe that. I I actually think it's, it's important to not waste our time. Uh, Just to quote Jesus again, he says, don't throw your, your pearls before swine, right? Or they'll trample all over you. That's what happens, right? If you're in the, in the comments, uh, engaging with people who are not sincere, who are just trying to like have the gotcha FUD or whatever, you're, I don't think you're doing a service to humanity or to Bitcoin. Now on the other end of the spectrum, I think there is a group of people that are just, they just have questions. They just don't know. They just haven't heard. And I think for those people, most Bitcoiners take the approach of being patient and being, being kind with their time. I think there's a difference between being kind and being nice. Being nice is like, just like being fake again. And just like whatever people ask of you, you respond to. Whereas being kind is actually just reading the room and reading the situation and being like, Oh, you just haven't heard. Like, did you know that you can buy less than one Bitcoin? <laughs> like there's a lot of people that don't know that yet. Some of the information is just so obvious to us as Bitcoiners because we're, we just, we swim in it and we forget how much, how much knowledge we possess and how little knowledge other people possess. And so it's on us to discern who's being sincere, who's sincerely engaging with us and who's just trying to waste our time and literally has no interest in, in learning or, or hearing truth. And it's on us to uh, engage appropriately. So you've you brought up some parables from the Bible and some stories from the Bible that, you know, obviously kind of mold your thinking. I don't know if many listeners know this, but George and I are actually connected through ethnicity as well as the faith that we are born under, which is Coptic Orthodoxy. Can you kind of talk about your history through the church and how that's kind of led you to become the person that you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So my faith journey started, so I was born in Egypt into the Coptic Orthodox Church, as you mentioned. I was ordained a deacon at a really young age, which is basically like, in Catholic terms, it's like an altar boy, right? You helped kind of the priest uh, facilitate the service. And when we immigrated to America, I was four years old. And pretty early on in when I got into school, I started looking around and seeing my friends going to evangelical churches and wanted to fit in with them more, you know? And they were like, part of Bible studies and young life and inviting their friends to church and stuff. So 
I made the bold decision following in my sister's footsteps to, to start attending a Foursquare church. And so left, left the, the uh, Coptic church at a pretty young age, and much to my, my father's disappointment, but we're cool now. It's all good. And so started attending uh, evangelical churches and spent a lot of time just trying to figure out who God was. I would say my faith has, has driven a lot of my decision-making throughout my life, but I was never content with the institutional church, whether it was the Coptic church or the Foursquare church or the various other churches I would hop to next in my life. But eventually, but I still attended church like, you know, every, every Sunday, all that kind of stuff, but was always just kind of searching and started going to a church um, in Seattle called East Lake Church, which was sort of the new, hip, like growing mega church in town and got pretty involved there. Ended up working there for a little while. That church became pretty progressive. We actually, in 2015, became open and affirming uh, to the LGBTQ community. And there's a ton of backlash to that. We lost like half of our congregation. We went from like 8,000 people to 4,000 people, lost like half of our budget. And, and so that was a, a moment of like, huh, okay, what's going on here? What, what is Christianity? What, there's all these camps that are, that are opening up to me. Like, I don't know what's true, right? So I was in a very confused state where I was deconstructing my faith. And, you know, I'd fallen, fallen quite away from, from the Orthodox Church. Ended up moving to New York, where I was a director of strategic partnerships and innovation at the Riverside Church in Manhattan, which is the tallest church in America, believe it or not, a church that Martin Luther King preached at, one of the most progressive churches in America. Turned out it wasn't as progressive as I thought it was. Once I got on the inside and and, uh, kind of saw some of the inner workings, who they presented themselves to be and who they actually were, were very, very different. So that was another just very like disappointing church moment for me, where I was like, you know what? Is any of this real? Is any of this real? And so now, so Riverside was around 2017 when, when I started to discover Bitcoin. There's more to my church story, but it's too long. We won't get into that. It was, it was at that time where I was just like, you know what? I just give up on the institutional church. I don't, I don't buy it anymore. I think they failed. I don't think they're telling the Jesus story the way that it needs to be told. And that's where I'm at today. I'm like, I believe in God. I believe in higher power. I believe Jesus um, lived the best life that you could possibly live. And there's a lot of truth to what's going on in the Bible, what's going on in the Jesus narrative. And I choose to live my life based on that, those facts. And so I quote Jesus a lot because I think Jesus was right about everything. <laughs> and I think Jesus is who we're, we're to emulate. But, I, but I've given up hope in the institutional church. There's a lot of great churches out there. There's a lot of really good pastors doing good work. In fact, there's a lot of pastors who are becoming Bitcoiners, which is exciting. But the church as an institution and Christianity at large has failed utterly, in my view. Wow. I mean, those are very, very strong words. I guess, make the connection to Bitcoin. I mean, you wrote, a, you co-authored a book, Thank God for Bitcoin, which I sent to my mother, who is a yes. humble stack sacker herself. <laughs> you know, obviously, you know, there is kind of there's wisdom and there's Lindy and there's truth in a lot of, you know, what you learned and, and, you know, still kind of hold dear from Christianity, but like, where, where has that kind of like fallen apart and where do you feel like Bitcoin fills that gap? I mean, I think in a lot of ways, my, my journey throughout Christianity has led me to Bitcoin, which is weird to say, but I mean, there's a, there's a lot in the Bible about money. Obviously there's a lot 
and the narrative, even just in the early church about, you know, the early, early Christians sharing what they had in common that speaks to benevolent sense of, of community and exchange and barter. Right. But I, I think without my story, I don't find Bitcoin. I think without my exposure to Christianity, I, I'm not, I'm not having this conversation with you in some, some interesting ways. And I'm still trying to unpack this. Maybe this will be a future article, but like, I think, I think Christianity is what led me to Bitcoin. So I'm trying not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. One of my favorite theologians, Phyllis Tickle, and she talks about how every 500 years, Christianity goes through these periods of immense disruption. And she likens it to a rummage sale and says, Christians go through these periods every 500 years. 500 years ago was the Reformation. Before that, it was the Great Schism, so on. And now we're in this next 500-year period where we're going through this rummage sale, where we're kind of looking around at Christianity and we're like, eh, this is good. Let's keep that. No, that's not working anymore. And we're kind of going through all of the things that are worth redeeming and, and retaining and kind of carrying forward into, into the future generations and the things that like no longer serve us as humanity. And so I, I'm still pretty aligned with that. I, I, I think while the church today has failed to be a witness, I, I think there are still glimmers of hope that maybe we can turn it around. And I think part of whether or not churches will be successful in doing that is how they will how they will react to to Bitcoin, quite frankly, because we have to wrestle with how the church engages with the state and with with how the church exists in the world. And right now, the church has kind of become a puppet to the state. It doesn't stand for really anything. It's just kind of going with the culture, and that's the opposite of what Jesus did. And so like the money changers, like the church is like, Hey, come on in money changers. Come on. Here's here. Have this corner of, of our sanctuary. And whereas Jesus was going in and flipping over their tables. And so I think we've just kind of lost our way at, again at an institutional level. And so I, I think we, we still have time to turn it around, but it, it really depends on how we respond to the, the dawn of the new, the new era. Okay. Very interesting commentary there. I know last time we met in person, I made a church and Orthodox related kind of comparison to Bitcoin, which I I'm still kind of, you know, stewing upon. I don't want to get into my ideas. I want to focus on your ideas and want to pivot back to Bitcoin as a common ground, Bitcoin as this like uniting truth, like it's not uncommon in the cryptocurrency community to hear, you know, Bitcoin is a religion, Bitcoin is a cult, Bitcoin is these things. Like, what's the value in that, right? You know, I think there's a lot of negative ideas in current Western culture around these ideas of religion, but religion has been a very effective way of organizing humanity for a long time and seeking truth and finding and clinging to wisdom. You know, where does Bitcoin kind of fill that gap? Yeah, I mean... I think the value of, of, of authentic community is just as simple as making true friendships. So it's like the people that I hang out with every Thursday night in Orange County, th- these people are becoming my friends. Like this has become my church. We had a Christmas party together, right? Like we hang out on big events where I bring my kids and we have, we share meals and we have laughter and we, we ask each other for advice. Like, if I need some like my car fixed or something, I'm my, the first group of people I'm thinking of is, is who are the people in the Bitcoin group that know about cars, right? Like this is real life. This is what's happening. This is who I'm texting and saying, Hey bro, do you know anybody who, whatever. So that's the value of it is it's, it changes the way that you, you show up in the world and without it right now, I don't know about you, but like, I'm not doing much else in the, in the middle of these lockdowns in the middle of like, you can't go anywhere and you can't hang out and all that kind of stuff. And so 
it is a source of hope in that. So when people say it's a religion or it's a cult or whatever, it's just like, I don't know what that means, but these are some of my homies. They're Bitcoiners. I'm a Bitcoiner. We all get along and we exchange ideas. But dude, I, I think your your analogy about the blockchain and the Orthodox Church is beautiful. And I think I think actually you should share that because you articulated it so well. I've actually used it a couple of times. So you're talking about how, I'll just say you, I'll just say you tell it. Okay, so my fiance and I and I are going through Coptic marriage counseling, and like the she's she's going to be converting to to the Coptic Orthodox religion, so we can get married in the church. And so she's had to be very patient and kind of go through these lessons. But one of the very first lessons that the priests that we're working with taught us is the history of the church and talking about these schisms and going from one church to the Eastern church and the Catholic church, and then, you know, so on and so forth. And one of the keys to, you know, what makes the Coptic or the Orthodox church so special in, in, you know, in the Orthodox narrative is this desire to go back to Genesis, to go all like their, you know, every single priest, every single person who's part of the Orthodox clergy had a hand over shoulder relationship with someone before them. And you can trace that all the way back to St. Mark, who brought Christianity to Egypt, who was an apostle of Jesus. So effectively, you can trace it all the way back to Jesus. And that resembles a blockchain to me, right? Going back to Genesis, going back to truth and having this kind of like, what is the original message? And I just see, again, the big, Bitcoin as it, this institution that brings a new level of truth to that, a new level of uncorruptibility to that. You can truly go back to Genesis to 2009, Chancellor on the Brink, and know exactly what Satoshi wanted to say in that moment. And there is no, you know, interpretation necessary. Like you can go back to Genesis and know exactly what happened in that moment. And history is forever changed because of that. This is a new type of history that humanity has access to because of, you know, this thing that is the Bitcoin blockchain. Yes. I love that. It's so great. It's great on the Bitcoin front and it's great on the (laughs) defending Coptic Orthodoxy front. It's like, I mean, yeah, your church is cool, but like, does it go all the way back to St. Mark and then before that, Jesus? (laughs) Or (laughs) says... Okay, so where's the value in that? Why is it important to go back to Genesis? Yeah, I mean, the sense of continuity, obviously, but I, I think also just authority is, is a thing that, that matters. And I mean, again, it's just, tr- it's just quantifiable truth. It's people can attest, like when I got anointed as a deacon in the, in the Orthodox Church and the priest laid hands on me, what we're saying is those same hands are like, we're... It's an unbroken link all the way back to St. Mark. Like, that's pretty cool. And I don't know if that, that's, you know, valuable to a lot of people, but it's definitely meaningful at some level, like, that, that we have that unbroken, unbroken chain. And Coptic Orthodox Christians are pretty chill in that they're not all about the hype. Like, one of the reasons I left originally was because I was like, we're, we're not even doing anything. We're not even growing. We're not inviting people. And I had this attitude of, like, you know, this hyper growth mentality that when in reality, it's like, I, I lost, it was lost on me that the real value was just that they showed up every week <laughs> and that they were just faithful in what they were doing. And the, the liturgy was the value unto itself. The fact that it was just like tradition, like the fact that it was just happening every single week 
they showed up no matter what and do it, they did the same thing. And so it's just like, it's like honey badger, right? So like that's the connection to, to Bitcoin. It's like every 10 minutes, there's going to be a new block and you can rely on that. You can depend on that. And so I think that's the, that's the connection. Yeah. I mean, again, I think in modern times, people look at religion in a kind of a tainted way, but for a very long time, religion was truth. Religion was stability. Religion was the bedrock of society. And if, I mean, in some ways, like a future Bitcoin world kind of resembles that where Bitcoin is the bedrock of society. It is that uncorruptible truth. And I mean, kind of going back to your article, Bitcoin is common ground. It kind of serves as an opportunity to bridge people together that in today's world, you know, are mortal enemies and they're not only mortal enemies, but they actually, they're not even aware of each other. They're, they're they have no empathy, sympathy, or just patience for any of the struggles and, and realities that the other person is going through. And I mean, you can point to a lot of things that are happening in society that are causing that. But I, I personally think that one of the reasons is just there is no more truth. There is no more objectivity that we can like lay our, our backs against and say, okay, we can agree on this. So now we can, you know, get to the bottom of this. Like if you can't agree on anything, then how can you get to the bottom? How can you find agreement anywhere? So true. That's so true. And I think that's, that's why a Bitcoin standard is going, you know, people make fun of us because we say Bitcoin fixes this about everything. But like that's everything what you just said is why Bitcoin fixes everything. If it's the foundation and we can agree on that, then think about how much more productive our conversations are and how much we can build from, from here. I mean, it's not lost on me that the, my co-authors all come from various walks of life, different parts of the, of the political spectrum, and we all get along great. Because we're like, hey, you guys want to write a book together about how Bitcoin is going to change the world and how it's, it has the moral high ground above fiat? It's like, that's enough. Everything else is like a conversation in passing. It's almost like our disagreements have become like laughable. It's just like, ha And we like joke about like how ridiculous it is that we were in a former life passionately defending our political positions or whatever. And instead, now we forge these new bonds based around this deeper truth. So the next book, the next article that you wrote for Bitcoin magazine is are Bitcoiners assholes, right? And I feel like this is while it, it fits perfectly into Bitcoin is common ground, at the same time, it also it to someone kind of from the outside looking in, it's like, how can Bitcoin be common ground? How can it be this uniting thing? But yet the people in Bitcoin can be so freaking abrasive to outsiders mm-hmm. and to, you know, shit coiners and you know, things that we find unsavory. How do you kind of reconcile these two realities? Yeah, I, to kind of go back to the religious analogies, I, I see Bitcoiners as both prophets and even evangelists, right? And this kind of goes back to the, the, the conversations we have to have to people depending on the context and depending on their demeanor. And so sometimes, you know, prophets come across as assholes. And when we tell people like, yo, you like you need to understand the fiat system is about to collapse like any day now could literally wake up tomorrow and your money is worthless and everything that you hold dear in this life is just not what you thought it was that there's a strong sense of urgency with that and if if people aren't with it you're going to come across as an asshole that's just that's just the reality And, and kind of the article goes on to say but actually where that's coming from is a place 
of number one, we're trying to protect the network, this one shot that humanity has at a benevolent and sort of what's the word abundant future. And on the other hand, it's like we are warning people and we have to have the sense of urgency and we don't have time to debate people who are insincere. And so, so I think we can do both. I think we can be prophets and at the same time, we can genuinely live into the what is good news and uh, be evangelists to like this bright future that we have, that we, that we hold with high conviction that we're living into a better future already just by knowing about and holding Bitcoin. And we want other people to join us and we are inviting them. And so I think both can be true. We have to protect the, the, the truth against people being misled. Like one of my biggest laments is that when you go to Bitcoin.com, it's like some bullshit that has nothing to do with Bitcoin. And how many people are going to get screwed by that? We have to be loud about that kind of stuff, I, I think. Otherwise, you know, to, to the conversation Peter McCormick was having is like, we might take a harder road. If, if we let them, if we give them an inch, like we've already given Ethereum, I think too much of an inch where it's like they've almost become legitimized in people's minds as being this like Bitcoin junior. When we know as Bitcoiners that it's not even in the same conversation, right? Ethereum so is a slave to Bitcoin. <laughs> yes. The whipping amen. boy. Don't invest in the whipping boy, bro. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So so yeah, I think posing the question, are Bitcoiners assholes, is is a way of just kind of like saying, you know, a lot of people see us that way, but I love Michael Saylor's analogy that I talk about, about cyber hornets. You know, hornets protect the ecosystem against invasive species that become too aggressive. And that's what we're doing. You know, these shit corners become too aggressive. We, we, shut it, we shut it down. Like XRP ain't it, man. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, anyone who brings up XRP, it's an immediate sign that they have not done their due diligence. <laughs> I, I tend to agree. You know, the reality is, is that true toxicity is smile fucking people. True toxicity is not being real with them. True toxicity is being a smart trader who's going to dump on the plebs so that way they can make more Bitcoin than the Bitcoin maximalists. That's toxic. That's yeah. evil. That's not caring about people. Uh, I would yeah. say that the the toxicity that the Bitcoiners resemble, and although I communicate differently than many Bitcoiners, it comes from a place of righteousness. And okay, yeah, that is, you know, can rub scammers the wrong way but you know it's true it's honest it's it's in good faith and that's i mean that's not toxic mm -mm. no it's like calling jesus toxic for going into the temple and flipping over the money changers tables that wasn't toxicity right what what, what was happening there is the same thing that's happening when we tell shit coiners to have fun staying poor. Like, I, I think it's the same energy. <laughs> okay, let's transition over to uh, the OC Bitcoin meetup. Bitcoin is what you're working on right now. Obviously, you know, you're putting out great thought leadership here around kind of community, but you're also in the trenches, you know, stimulating and bringing community together, you know, in your local area. Can you kind of talk about, you know, what you're doing? Yeah, so right now the OC Bitcoin Network, so again, we meet on Thursdays in Anaheim, and we also have helped a couple other of uh, regional meetups start, Phoenix, Las Vegas, a couple others around the country. And we also do Monday Night Bitcoin every Monday night, where right now we're going through the book, Thank God for Bitcoin. So we're doing a 10-week study on that, and everyone's welcome to, to join us there. It's on Zoom. And we're trying to get all of our meetups basically speaking the same language, where Right now, the theme is thank God for Bitcoin. And the, the idea is we meet on Mondays to talk about the book. And then on Thursdays or throughout the week, 
you get together and you're kind of all having the same conversation about Bitcoin having the moral high ground and, and all of that kind of stuff. So that's that's the meetup side of things. With Bitcoin is we're we're partnering with a bunch of different Bitcoin only companies, both to provide resources and point new people to the right direction. So if you go to bitcoinis.com slash start, we we link you to you know some of our partners. And uh, it's just a great place to just point people to when they're just like, hey, I'm, in, I'm into it. Where do I go? How do I get started? And so we're curating uh, resources around, around that. And then we're also obviously really passionate about just culture and trying to trying to ch- change the narrative. And so we, we sell a couple of different merch products that have messaging around that end. So one of our shirts is like, it says conservative, progressive, libertarian crossed out. And then it says Bitcoiner at the bottom. And the idea there is to, again, it's, it's this common ground thing of like, just forget about the old narratives. Like, don't try to defend your old political systems. Don't try to be on the red team or the blue team. Like, just be a Bitcoiner. We're, we're writing the script right now. We're writing the new narrative. So live into that. And so uh, we're really passionate about, about how culture is changing around this as well. Straight up, that is one of the coolest shirts in Bitcoin, <laughs> and I need one. And so I, I, I expect one in the mail soon. <laughs> All right. But yeah, no, fuck the red team, fuck the the blue team. Yep. We're on the orange team. We're on we're on, you know, it, it's so weird in today's world to like have a win-win, you know, yep. but Bitcoin truly is a win-win. Like yep. I'm I'm sorry populists, but Bitcoin is good for the wealthy. I'm yep. sorry elitists, but Bitcoin is f- fair and sound money for the poor. Like Bitcoin truly is a stable fairness for anyone who opts in like it it picks no favorites you could be a dictator you could you you could be a refugee bitcoin's going to serve you the same doesn't matter yeah amen i mean if you're if you're working at whether you're working at mcdonald's or you're working at, at some bank making millions of dollars a year or whatever the point is that whatever you earn whatever value you output you'll be able to preserve that, right? And you'll be able to do whatever you want with that. So I think that's such a powerful, powerful idea. I mean, everything that you just said, it, it is good for, for everybody. And we don't have to argue. We don't have, to have these petty debates about how we're going to print X amount of dollars and then how we're going to distribute that. It's like, no, are you creating value for the world? Right? Because most people are, right? The McDonald's worker that serves the long ass drive through line, at some level, they're creating value for the world. And it's just a rigged system that makes their the little amount of money that they earn disappear overnight. Whereas if they were earning Bitcoin, like a, at least they would have that m- amount of money, right? And then they could decide what they want to do with it. Absolutely. And I mean, let's talk about your brother-in-law. You know, he is really pushing the envelope. Russell Kuhn, for those who are unfamiliar with the connection between George and <laughs> our boy Russell, he's really pushing... Bitcoin adoption in professional sports. And he's leveraging an application called Strike, led by an amazing young founder, Jack Mallers. And, you know, the way that Jack pitches it is like, hey, these athletes are creating an enormous amount of wealth, an enormous amount of value for the world, and they're sacrificing their body, and the dollar does not respect their sacrifice. Like, how many NFL players go and play in the NFL? sacrifice their body their career is three years long and then guess what they're on the curb they're homeless they're doing something else in a few years because they squandered their dollars they were cheated by money managers they're cheated by so and so and they had no way to 
preserve the sacrifice that they made in those few years of their prime. Like that is a very powerful narrative. And I feel like it's very well aligned with what you just said about, you know, fast food worker. Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, that's so, so Russell and I, we, uh, we co-founded Bitcoin is together we threw that event together. And now we're, we're on this whole pushing culture thing with things like the, the shirt I just described, as well as pay me in Bitcoin as a campaign in general and our partnership with strike. You can also get a pay me Bitcoin merch uh, on the website. But the whole idea is that people, man, working with Russell and and, and just kind of peeking behind the scenes of, of what happens with professional athletes is just you, people wouldn't believe what happens and how much they get taken advantage of and, and how it's not just that. It's not just the corruption. It's the it, it's how distorted the narrative is, especially with people who are just like casual sports fans and what they see and sort of what we've been taught as casual sports fans to think about athletes. And I think Bitcoin fixes even that, you know, and, and one of my favorite things is like, like before Russ and I got really into Bitcoin, which happened sort of right around the same time as we were working more and more together before Bitcoin, the conversations of, of like trying to partner with various companies or startups that we were excited about or whatever, they would always kind of end up going the same. And they wanted Russell for one reason, and it was because of his his access and because of his money. Whereas in the Bitcoin space, people don't give a shit about that. It's crazy. Like the Bitcoin companies that we work with, people like Russell because he's a Bitcoiner. <laughs> That's the common ground. And they're not, nobody's like, tr- like trying to like just get around him because as of who he is or because of his money or whatever, like people are just excited that he's a Bitcoiner. That's, that's, that's preaching the, the gospel of Bitcoin publicly. And that he's, he's, like he he's gets about it. the cause. Yes. He gets it, man. Like, like you're an NFL player that gets it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. I don't need anything else from you. And man, I just like, I can't tell you how refreshing that's been and how beautiful it is actually. And it's a testament to Bitcoiners and to all the people in the space who have ever, ever interacted with, with us. Like, Thank you. First of all, if you're listening, like it, it, it makes such a big difference. And the juxtaposition between the legacy world and, and inhabiting the Bitcoin space is night and day. So I think that alone, it just, it just paints a picture of what's actually going on here. I mean, I, I would pose the question again, like who is truly toxic? Who is truly yeah. the asshole? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I'll tell you what, it's the suits, man. It's everything that we saw play out over the last couple of weeks in the stock market. It's those people that are just like, they just want a buck. They just, they're just chasing after clout and they're chasing after dollars for what? So they can keep up with inflation. Like that's, that's it. And it, it, it's not about creating a better world and it's not about trying to help humanity or trying to actually create something that's, that's valuable for your, your fellow man. That's beautiful. Well, I mean, I think that's a great place to uh, to wrap up the episode. <laughs> this has been the fastest hour of my life. Uh, <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure here, George. I want to give you a moment to give your last word, plug yourself. Where can people find you? Sure. I'm uh, at G McHale on Twitter, G-M-E-K-H-A-I-L. And uh, bitcoinis.com. You can find me there as well. Check out the book as well. It's available on the website and on Amazon. Thank God for Bitcoin. All right. Awesome. And you got a final word. Like, what are you going to tell the Bitcoiners listening? This is absolutely a Bitcoiner podcast. So we have people who are in the fold listening. Final word is find a local Bitcoin meetup and join it and start attending regularly. That alone right now is an affront to the legacy system where they t- they're telling you to stay home and wear a mask and all that shit. Find your people and start meeting with them. Start getting to know them and start 
collaborating like outside of i mean twitter is great keep doing that too but like out like outside of that in meet space go find other bitcoiners you know let's let's keep building a better world together the words of stephen cole fear is the virus man stephen cole's a genius listen to him <laughs> yeah he's the man great follow all right guys you can find me at ck underscore snarks you can find me at bitcoin magazine you can find george's fantastic writings on Bitcoin Magazine, and I really pray and hope that he continues to donate his fantastic, you know, thoughts to our effort. So make sure to check all of that out. Make sure to check out Bitcoin Is, and yeah, stay humble, stack sats. See you in the Citadels. Peace. Thanks, man. Peace. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.